Thank you for listening to this podcast from Monclova Road Baptist Church. For more information about this message and the ministries of Monclova Road Baptist Church, please visit monclovabaptist.org. Acts chapter number 11. While you're still turning there, I love when the Lord does what he does, and that is when he puts things together uh, independently of our own self. I see what you're heading into, into Gospel Sunday, and I believe it's the exact preparation uh, that we have for this morning where God is going to prepare our hearts for this week that you have coming. I want to ask you a question. I don't want you to take it personally because I don't believe I'm talking about this church, but I believe I'm talking more about collectively churches in our country. My question is, why do you think the majority of churches in America are not growing? I mean, the gospel is exploding in Southeast Asia. I've been to the Philippines several times where they're planting hundreds of churches. The gospel is even exploding in China where they have to take the church underground and they have home churches. But why in a place where the gospel can be preached publicly, like our country, that we are in decline. Most churches are either plateaued, declining, or 14 churches close their door every single week. Where have we gone wrong? I believe, if I could speak to it, I think collectively the church in America, churches in America, ran into problems when we added the letter S to the word mission. And we made it missions. I did that. Uh, growing up, I, I've done that before as a pastor. I, I think unconsciously what we do is we, we make it something else. It's in addition, it's an auxiliary, it's a ministry, it's a program when it should be the main thing. The mission is always on the heart of God, but is it always on our heart? And so this morning, I guess I'm calling us back To make the main thing the main thing. I mean, in reading the New Testament and Scripture, we find those who have been rescued and found by the grace of Jesus are called and compelled to find others to lead them to Jesus. Someone said it this way that I think is memorable, that found people find People. Would you say that with me this morning? Okay. Found people find people. And see, I really worry a lot that the church has come to the place that we're so in love with each other and we're so thrilled about everything that goes in the four with goes on within the four walls of the church. We're so happy to sit in our groups and disciple each other and pray with each other and counsel with each other and talk with each other. But the fact is we never crawl out of our ivory towers of bliss of Christian fellowship to, and to accomplish the mission that Jesus gave us. And I know what the problem is. I know some of us think that that evangelism is for professional Christians. That's for the pastor. That's for the assistant pastors, for people like Peter and John and the apostle Paul. But in this passage that we'll read today, Acts chapter number 11, you'll find no professional Christian spreading the good news. And just to kind of set up the chapter, the Bible says in Acts 1.8, take notice of the reference, Acts 1.8, that after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, you will see, receive power and you'll be witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and the uttermost parts of the earth. 
And if you fast forward to Acts 8, 1, that's the opposite of Acts 1, 8. They're still in Jerusalem. So God allows persecution to scatter those people there. Interesting in Acts 8, 1, it says that they are scattered except the apostles. And then we come to Acts chapter 11 and we'll begin our reading in verse number 19. The word of God says, now they which were scattered abroad upon the persecution that arose about Stephen traveled as as far as Phenis and Cyprus and Antioch, preaching the word to none but unto the Jews only. So notice now, these are the people who have been scattered. And Acts 1.8 says it's not the apostles. They're still in Jerusalem, but these people have been scattered. They, they're scattered as far as Phoenix and Cyprus and Antioch, and they're preaching the word. Notice only to the Jews. But then something happens in verse number 20. And some of them, some of them, all right, were men of Cyprus and of Cyrene, which when they were come to Antioch, spake unto the Grecians, preaching the Lord Jesus and the hand of the Lord was with them and a great number believed and in t- and turned to the Lord. Then tidings of these things came unto the ears of the church, which was in Jerusalem. And they sent forth Barnabas that he should go as far as Antioch, who, when he came and had seen the grace of God, was glad and exhorted them all that with purpose of heart they should they would cleave unto the Lord. For he was a good man and full of the Holy Ghost and of faith and much people was added unto the Lord. Then departed Barnabas to Tarsus for to seek Saul. Notice this. And when he had found him, notice that found people, find people. When he had found him, he brought him unto Antioch. And it came to pass that a whole year they assembled themselves with the church and taught much people and the disciples were called Christians first in Antioch. Notice the plural pronouns we find in the passage of scripture we just read. Verse number 19 says they. Verse 20, it says them and they. Verse 21, them. Verse 23, them. I'm speaking this morning on them. Found people find people. This is the core of what it means to be a Christian. These people, the they, the them, they did not have professional Christian titles. They had no book deals, no endorsements. They were normal, average, everyday people. The Bible didn't have a title. They weren't the pastors. They weren't the apostles. They weren't the teachers. They weren't the evangelists. They weren't the prophets. They were just called under the Holy Spirit's inspiration, them. And this morning, I would like to declare to you is that we are them. We are them. I know this is bad English, but it's great preaching. I want you to say to yourself, I am them. I am them. We are them. And today I want to put the jelly on the bottom shelf where everybody can get it to put it on their biscuits. All right. So we're going to talk about them. T-H-E-M. We are them. Notice first T. These people took God's mission personally. They took God's mission personally. Verse number 20 says, and some of them. 
These were not Christians that uh, that were pastors and evangelists, as I've said, but these are just people who have met the Lord Jesus Christ. He has empowered them and he has enabled them. And now they are taking the mission Seriously, they're taking the mission personally. I I want you to know that it was just natural for them. Now, if you were to follow me around for a day or two, you would come very quickly to the conclusion that I'm a father, not of one, not of two, not of three, but of four children, two of those being twins. God help us all. You're going to find diapers, you would find crayons, you would find clothes in places that they shouldn't be, and you would find Cheerios, and only God knows how those Cheerios get to where they go. You would know very quickly, because of my life, that I had four children. Now, I want you to know, because of my relationship with my children, because I'm a father of four, my life is different. I use my time in, uh, differently. Uh, my perspective of life is different because of my children. My resources are used differently because of my children. When I was single, I had a truck and I had a motorcycle. I mean, I used to be cool before I had kids. Somebody say amen. You know what I'm talking about there? I mean, we used to be cool. We used to do fun stuff, but then we had kids. I, I spend my energy different. Uh, excuse me. My wife spends her energy differently because we have four kids. Now, in the same way, As a follower of Jesus, there should be something obviously different because of your relationship with the Lord, because you're a child of God. You should use your time differently because you know Jesus. Your perspective in this world should be different because you know Jesus. You use your resources differently because you know Jesus. Your energy is spent differently because you are a child of God. Knowing him means my life has been changed. And this is what I believe. It is impossible to walk closely with Jesus and not care about the things that he cares about. It doesn't matter who you are. You don't need a title. You don't need a position. If you know Jesus, it should be natural. You should take it personally. And by the way, time out. If you're a visitor today, I want you to come back next week and hear the preacher because I'm half crazy. I don't want to give a bad impression on this church. All right. So you come back. All right. Time back in. It's time for us to take God's mission personally. I remember when we first started our church just a few years ago and we didn't even have a building. We didn't know where we were going to start, but we just had faith. And so if you're familiar with the city of Cincinnati, I would walk from my home. I lived on Clark street and I would walk east. I come to vine and I would I would go south on Vine and I'd be handing out invitations uh, to, and trying to meet people to get the church started. I would turn on 4th Street and I would head back up north and I would pass by Fountain Square, if you're familiar with the heart of Cincinnati. I remember one time in particular, I was there by Fountain Square and a man got right in front of my face, really close to me, and stopped me and said, hey, are you some kind of pastor or something? Now, this is a normal occurrence in downtown Cincinnati, people who are homeless and people who are impoverished. And this man, he just had he reeked of the smell of alcohol. And I knew he was going to ask me for some money. Now, I have a little thing now. I've learned how to call people's bluffs because if they ask for for, you know, for food, things like that, instead of giving them money, I, I offer to actually go get them the food. And it's amazing the excuses that will come up, you know, when you say, well, let me go get the food instead of just handing them money. And so I, this guy said, hey, are you a pastor? I said, yeah, I'm a pastor. He said, well, I'm hungry. Can you get me some food? And I, and I, I used my little chair. I said, yeah, we'll go get the food. And he said, OK, let's go. I thought, man, he called my bluff. 
Well, normally, if I was on 4th Street, I'd walk down to the Wendy's and get something off the dollar menu. But I'm at Fountain Square, and the only restaurant's right there. There's a Chipotle, and there's a Panera. But I'm like, man, I'm about to come out of my pocket for this guy. And then I remember someone said, you should give someone something more valuable than your money. Give them your time. I thought, you know what, I'll, I'll try to find out this guy's story and find out why he's in the condition that he's in. I remember it very vividly because I remember he got a tuna fish sandwich. And I thought, your breath is already so bad because of the alcohol. I don't get the tuna fish, you know. And I remember I got a cup of coffee and I sat down and I, I began to try to talk to this man to learn his story. You know, he, because of his condition, uh, we came down towards the end of the conversation. I really felt like I had wasted my time. And then he asked me for my phone. At first, I was a little apprehensive. And what he going to do? Is he going to take off with it? And, and then he said, I would like to call my mom in Atlanta, Georgia. I said, oh, I know some people in Atlanta, Georgia. Is the area code 770. He said, sure is. I said, well, I'll dial it for you. I dialed the number. And, and then I handed him the phone. He's, he got on the phone with his mom. He said, Mama, I'm sorry I hadn't called you in so long. And then he said, did you send that money I asked for? And I'm thinking, oh, no, he's hitting up his poor mom. They had a conversation, and, and then he, he said, hold on, hold on, here he is, and he handed me back the phone. I took the phone and said, hello, this is Pastor Kirkland. And the sweetest, most southern voice I've ever heard in my whole life, pastor, not pastor, pastor, <laughs> and she said these words, thank you for caring about my son. See, we forget that when Jesus has called us into the world, he hasn't called us into a world of people that are just anonymous beings, but he's called us to reach somebody's son and somebody's daughter. Notice when you take God's mission personally, you're going out and there's somebody else who's tied to that person. There could be a mom or a dad who's been praying for years for somebody to tell their son, their daughter about Jesus. Don't you want someone to love your child, someone to love that person that's connected to you? Now go into the world and, and treat every person like they could be your brother, your sister, your son or your daughter. Take God's mission Personally, I want you to notice next, not only did they take God's mission personally, but they had gospel conversations regularly. Verse number 20, it says they begin to speak to the Grecians. And what did they do? They preached the word, they preached the Lord Jesus to them. Again, these are not pastors. These are not apostles. These are normal everyday people. The them, they preached the gospel to those who they were in contact with. They had gospel conversations. You you know, there's a cute little saying that I saw once and I, I thought was was something that was worth repeating. And then I began to think about it. And I thought, is this exactly true? Is this exactly right? We've heard it before. I've quoted it before. It says this, preach the gospel and if necessary, use words. Now, when I first heard that, I believe the, the core of that is trying to say that we should live our lives in such a way that it should be obvious that we are Christians and we don't have to use words. But then I began to think about that. I, I think it's in. Important. I think it's necessary for us to use words. The Bible says that how shall they call on him and whom they've not believed and how shall they believe on him and whom they've not heard and how shall they hear without a preacher? So then faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. 
I mean, somebody's got to open their mouth. Somebody's got to tell them. Andrew meets Jesus. What does he do naturally? He goes and finds his brother Peter and brings him to Jesus. The woman is encountered with Jesus at the well. And what does she do? She goes back to the town and she says, come see a man who told me everything about myself. Is this not the Christ? Jesus heals the demon possessed man. You remember the demon possessed guy? He was the nude dude in a crude mood. You know what I'm talking about? And he heals that man he's in his right mind he's clothed and Jesus says go back into your friends and your city and tell them the great things the Lord has done for you amazingly enough if you read when Jesus comes back to that city of Decapolis there's a great multitude of people why because that guy took God's mission personally that guy was having conversations about what Jesus had done for him I want to say today that that it's our opportunity, it's our time, it's our commission that we start opening our mouths and preaching the gospel. But it gets scary, doesn't it? It's a fearful thing to tell somebody about Jesus. I was an associate in my hometown in Dayton, Ohio. I remember I was coming home late one day. It was about 10 o'clock. And if you're familiar with Dayton, I'm at Maine and Ridge. There's a marathon there at that intersection. I'm getting ready to turn right to head home. Stark, it's kind of a sketchy neighborhood. I live in the neighborhood, but it's kind of sketchy. And I see a guy walking down the street. And I felt inside, not audibly, I would say not audibly because it was louder than that. It was on the inside. I felt like it was God saying, go tell that man about Jesus. You ever had one of those opportunities where God kind of speaks and said, go tell them about the Lord? And it's 10 and it's dark and the neighborhood's got you. And I'm like, Lord, that must not be you. You know, I'm going to just turn right here. And then I remember it so clear, so clear inside, not audibly. Don't say no when I say go. Okay, Lord. So I turned the car back around. I pull into that marathon. I get out. And I, when I did that, I must startle the guy just a little bit, you know, and he didn't know what was going on. And I said, sir, I said, I'm a pastor and I don't know exactly how to explain this, but I felt very strongly that the Lord wanted me to come tell you about Jesus. When I said that, his eyes got big as saucers. And he said these words, this must be some type of divine intervention. I would love to tell you (laughs) that I led that man to Jesus and he became a deacon in the church. And, you know, that's not how it went. Actually, this is how what happened. I sat down with them to, to begin to give the gospel. And within five minutes, a police officer pulled up and I thought, oh, no, I'm going to jail. This police officer probably thinks I'm selling drugs. And the police officer asked the man for his name. The man wouldn't give his name. He asked for his social security number. He wouldn't give his social security number. And before I know it, this man is in the back of a police car heading downtown. And, you know, you think, well, that, what, what were you doing, the Lord? But I I began to think about what the man said. He says, this is some kind of divine intervention. Who knows what that man was going to do that night? But God knew. And God used me to interrupt him. See, God wanted to remind that man that he had not forgotten about him. And sometimes God will use reluctant people like you and I to accomplish his Mission. They took God's mission purpose, uh, 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 seriously. They took it, uh, personally. They, they had gospel conversations regularly. And then I want you to notice the next thing here. They were empowered by the Spirit mightily. Notice what the Bible says in verse 21. 
that the hand of the Lord was with who? Them. Not the apostles, not the evangelists, not the leaders at the church of Jerusalem, but these average, everyday Christians. The hand of the Lord was with them. Barnabas come and the Bible says he was a man full of the Holy Ghost. You say, Pastor, what is the trick? What are some tips you can give me so I can begin to share the gospel? Well, this is what Paul said. And he says, my and my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power. There was no tricks there were no special words or special phrases it was just that he was full of God's spirit you know I talked about churches being on the decline but interesting enough there's a group of Christians who are who are actually growing and and though I don't claim uh, to be a part of this distinctive of Christianity they're those who are uh, they emphasize the spiritual giftings And a Baptist preacher made this connection and he said, you know, it seems like in our Baptist churches, we're motivating people by guilt to give the gospel. Yet they're motivating people through the spirit. He says, maybe it would be better instead of us being guilt driven, that we would learn to be spirit driven. What stops us from sharing the gospel? Is it fear? Is it a lack of confidence? I mean, sometimes we're we're just we're just defeated and we're afraid. I, I grew up in Dayton. I went to Stiver School for the Arts. It was a small school in the inner city. And, and we actually added grades, ninth grade, 10th grade, 11th grade. And we played in the inner city against teams like Dayton Dunbar and, and at the time Colonel White. And we used to just get beat up and the, I mean, just mopped up. And it was just horrible getting beat sometime. I remember one time in particular, we were playing Colonel White and they had the full court press on us and they were dunking on us. And we come in on halftime and, and we're all defeated. Everybody's scared. And 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 the the coach comes in. He throws the ball. He says some words I can't say on Sunday morning. And he said, "All of you are scared." And he said, "Only one guy on this team not scared, and that's Kirkland." And and here's the problem: I was the worst player. You know, I didn't have the talent. You know, I think you know sometimes that's kind of how it is walking into church on Sunday morning, isn't it? It's like we're it's halftime and we're getting beat up by the devil when we're afraid and we're afraid to go out and play the second half because because the enemy is so big and the enemy is so strong and, and we're afraid. But imagine. OK, imagine, can you use your imagination with me? Young people, you can do that. But older people, can we can we kind of like remember when we had that thing that we could, you know, imagine? Imagine you're in halftime and you're getting beat. And in the locker room walks in Michael Jordan. You lift up your head and there is number 23 from North Carolina, you know, one of the greatest players, if not the greatest player of all time, Goat, Michael Jordan. And you think to yourself, wow, he's going to give us a motivational speech at halftime to motivate us into the second half. But use your imagination with me. Imagine he doesn't say a word, but he comes and he walks to where you are and behind your ear, he finds a zipper. Use your imagination. And imagine Michael Jordan finds a zipper and he begins to unzip your skin. And then Michael Jordan steps inside of your body. And zip. All the power, the ability and talent of that man is inside of you. Are you ready to go play basketball with me now? Well, I'll give you something better than that, Christian. After that, the Holy Spirit is come upon you. Ye shall receive power. 
The Spirit of God, the same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is the Spirit that lives inside of us. And you may not feel like you have the ability, you may feel afraid today, but Jesus, the Holy Spirit who lives inside of us, He will lead us to victory. You can be bold. You can have power with God. The single most identifiable characteristic of the spiritfulness in the book of Acts is that they spoke with boldness. Paul said, and for me, that my utterance may be given to me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel. I want to encourage this church and stir up this church. Let's stop playing defense with the gospel and let's get on the offense. That's what I'm saying. There was a place in downtown Chicago many years ago where people could stand and recite poetry or or they could give their uh, opinion or some type of political address. And one man stood up on a platform and he began to curse God and say, there is no God and I'm here to prove it today. He said, God has 10 minutes to knock me off this platform. And if God doesn't knock me off this platform in 10 minutes, it proves there is no God. He began to say, God, you've got 10 minutes. And he began to count down and he was an atheist and he began to give scientific fact why there is no God. He's counting down. God, you've got eight minutes to knock me down. It proves you're not real. Well, a crowd was amassing to watch this guy. And uh, at the same time, there happened to be a local high school football team to get out of practice. And this team began to walk by and see the crowd assemble. Well, on that team was one young man who loved Jesus with all his heart. And he started to get upset. The man said, you've got two minutes, God, to knock me off of this platform. And that young football player put his helmet on and snapped his chin strap. One minute, God, or there proves you're not real. And the young man went down in the linebacker position. 30 seconds, God. And the young man went down to the three-point stance. Ten, nine, eight, seven. Boom, the young man took off with all of his speed, with all of his mind. Six, five, four, boom. Knocked the guy flat on his back. Snot bubbles coming out of his nose. The young man stood over that guy, took off his helmet and said, God was busy, so he sent me. It's about time the people of God get bold this morning. Hey, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they're mighty through the pulling down of strongholds. I'm not saying that we have our physical hands engaged in warfare, but could it be that the hand of God be upon us and we realize the spirit of God empowers us to share the gospel. Let Jesus Fill your heart, give you boldness to have those gospel conversations. They took God's mission seriously and personally. They had gospel conversations regularly. They were empowered by the spirit mightily. And lastly, they motivated others by their lives relationally. Notice verse 22, it says, then the tidings of these things came unto the ears of the church. Verse 23 who, when they, he had came, he had seen the grace of God and he was glad. Verse 26, notice, and the disciples were called Christians first in Antioch. Look how far and wide the influence of these average, normal, everyday them people were and how far it went. 
First the Jews hear, and then Gentiles begin to hear. Then the Bible says a great number, and then the church of Jerusalem, and then Barnabas comes to see, and he's encouraged, and he goes and finds Paul. And then did you know, through this church at Antioch, Acts chapter 13, it says that the Holy Ghost told them to separate Paul and Barnabas and they send them out on a missionary journey and they find their way to Macedonia through the Spirit's leading of that vision of the Macedonian man and and the gospel begins to go westward and it ends up in Europe and it flourishes in Europe and uh, hundreds of years ago it crossed the Atlantic Ocean to our country and did you know that you are here today? Because of them. Before there was a Paul, there was a them. Before there was a Barnabas, there was a them. The them was the church that sent out Paul and Barnabas. You are here today because they decided to take God's mission personally. Who is the person who led you to Jesus? Who is that person in your life? Many of you is a, a mother or a father, or maybe a Sunday school teacher or pastor. If you don't know what I'm talking about or you can't relate, then maybe today at the end of the service, you're going to come and, and you're going to find Jesus as your personal savior. You'll give him your life. But for those of us who are Christians today, do you know the person who led you to Christ? What is the feeling that fills, fills your heart when you think about that person? For me, it's a man named Wayne Essex, not a pastor, not a preacher, a businessman who took it personal to give the gospel to boys and girls week upon week, month upon month. And still to this day, that many years later, is still sharing the gospel at his local church. Just a businessman with a heart to share the gospel. His name's Wayne Essex. When I think about Wayne, my heart is filled with joy. So thankful that he shared Jesus with me. Who's that person for you? Now, here's what I'm asking you to do. I'm asking you to go be that person for somebody else. Somebody will call your name. Somebody, when we get to heaven, will say, he is the reason, she is the reason. Because of Jesus, but Jesus using that person to give me the gospel. C.H. Spurgeon said, and I don't want you to get mad at me, you got to get mad at Spurgeon when I say this. He said, every Christian is either a missionary or an imposter. I want you to recognize you're a missionary to your neighborhood, to your school, to your workplace, to your family. I know you think about a missionary being somebody who crosses the sea, but I'm asking you to cross the street to share Jesus. In an old magazine, there were four pictures highlighting a tragic story. The first picture was a picture of a barn in western Kansas with tall wheat. The second picture was the picture of a man searching at night through the fields for his three-year-old son who was lost. The third picture was a picture of the next morning, all the people in town joining their hands together and sweeping through the field to find the boy. And tragically, the fourth picture was a picture of a mother holding her lifeless son who had died in the night because of the elements. And underneath that last picture was a caption, quoted the father 
who said these words. Oh God, if we had only joined hands sooner. You see, the man went out into the night by himself with a passion. But the field was too large and the night was too dark. The next morning, he went and he got his friends and the community to help, but it, it was too late. The boy had died in the cold night. And the man said, oh God, if we had joined hands sooner, we could have found my son. And ladies and gentlemen of, of Monclover Road Baptist Church, what I'm asking and begging and challenging you to is to join hands together to sweep through the city of Toledo. Could you join hands together, sweep through this community because there are people who are dying and they're lost. I mean, I really believe there's a world of lost men and lost women, lost boys and girls, and they're out in the field. They can't find home. They can't find the father's house. They can't see above the distractions and the wheat of the world. They're perishing in the night of sin, in the cold morning. Uh, when the cold morning dawns, it'll be too late. Join hands, Monclova. Join hands and sweep through the field of the world and find those who are lost. We are them.